Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. This morning, we're actually launching a new series. Uh, We just wrapped up a series which was uh, really powerful. I'm personally speaking, it was powerful for me. Uh, I've heard so much feedback. It was a series about hearing God. And our our next series is actually a a, a beautiful way to continue that series. Uh, Our next book series, in terms of teaching through a book of Scripture, that's our typical model. Uh, Our next book series is going to be the New Testament letter to the Philippians. Uh, we're kicking that off actually the first week of September, I believe. Um, and, and the reason why is as we, as a, a teaching team, just prayed over um, what do we believe the Lord wants to say to us, we find that the, the letter to Philippians um, was very appropriate and it was a timely word to the first century church in Philippi. I also believe it's a very appropriate word to the 21st century church in America. And so we're going to be going through that uh, this fall. But the challenge with summer is it's really hard to do a series because people are pretty inconsistent. And, and so we're going to do something a little bit unique this summer. Is we're going to be doing a series of, of standalone passages. I want to encourage you to engage in every one of them, even if that means you're doing it uh, online uh, for some of them. Uh, some of them will be online. Some will be on campus. But um, we're going to be doing a series called Anchor Passages. So you notice some of the artwork already this morning that Mitchell created for us, the branding. Um, what you're going to be hearing this summer is from a variety of pastors and leaders, uh, even some guest speakers, and each one of them is going to be sharing a very personal anchor passage, what, what for them is a personal anchor passage. So here's what I mean by that. It's a passage of scripture. Maybe it's a verse, maybe it's a paragraph, maybe it's a chapter, but it's a passage of scripture that God has spoken to them through. So again, we just did this series on, on how God speaks. One of the ways that God speaks throughout human history has been through Scripture. Well, these are going to be passages that people have, have heard from the Lord specifically. And we're calling them anchor passages because they're not only personal, but they're passages that in their Christian life, in their Christian walk, have been foundational. These are, 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 are things that their life, their Christian life is built upon. And so it's foundational and it's also repeated. It's scripture that, that they're drawn back to repeatedly. Like a well filled with living water where every time they go to one of these passages, they experience living water from our, our Heavenly Father. So um, that's what we're going to be going through. And here's the thing. Um, these, these passages, the way I would think about them is, is they're, they're like burning bush passages. They're sacred ground. You're going to be hearing people's like spiritual lives just kind of opened up. These are holy ground. They're sacred ground because they're the burning passages, burning bush passages that God has spoken to them through. One of the things that I'm most excited about, about this series in particular, is that this series, I believe that there's going to be a great authority on every one of these messages. And the reason why is the person that's sharing that message, they're not going to be sharing a message that they've prepared for a week or for the last even two weeks or three weeks. 
these are messages that have been simmering in them, that they've been marinating in for years and even decades. And there's a greater authority in teaching a message that you've lived out of than one that you've prepared for. They both are necessary, but there's a, whenever I get a chance to teach a message that I've, that's really shaped my life, there's a greater authority on it. That's just a spiritual dynamic. And so that's the nature of this whole series. I'm, I'm really excited for this. I'm excited for us to hear from some different voices and um, to be able to benefit from what God has done uh, throughout his body, throughout this spiritual family. So um, I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, I would encourage you, if you don't currently do this, Pastor Mike writes daily devotions for us that you can sign up. Uh, you can find them online on our website. Uh, and you can sign up to have them delivered to you by email, or you can sign up to listen to them by podcast. There's different learning styles that are engaged there. But I want to encourage you, if you don't currently utilize those, to do that during this season because we're going to be jumping all over Scripture, and Mike's going to be setting us up every week. He's going to be laying the foundation for what you're going to hear the coming Sunday. And so even this morning, I was talking to Jerry out at the coffee bar, and he said, oh, Pastor Mike's devotions are so good. Like, I'm, I'm ready for this message in Titus because I've been in the devotions this week. And so I just want to encourage you towards that. Um, you know, because every one of these is going to be standalone, we're not going to have as much time to kind of exegetically unpack the, the, the passages, but you'll get that chance to do that personally with Pastor Mike if you engage in the devotion. So having said that, I did choose Titus. Uh, we're going to be in Titus 2, verses 11 through 14 this morning. It's a, it's a brief paragraph. Uh, I chose this. I actually had a number of anchor passages I could have chosen from because um, of the ways that God has spoken to me in my Christian life, one of the most consistent ways that God has spoken throughout my Christian life, going back to, to 1995 was when he gave me my first anchor passage. Um, he's spoken this way consistently. But I chose this one because it's been the one that has really been um, central in my life the last several years. And because of what the, it contains, I think it's the right way to launch this whole series. So I've had people ask me, uh, not lots of people, <laughs> maybe a few people that are like gluttons for punishment. Um, I've had a few people ask me if I have a book in me. Like, hey, you know, Pastor Trevor, are you ever going to write a book? And um, I don't feel drawn to that. <laughs> I don't want to, but if I ever did, uh, this passage is probably the place I would start with. I would consider, is there a book for me, a, a message for me out of this passage? And if there was, here's what I would title it. I would title it, The Classroom of Grace. The Classroom of Grace. We'll put it up on our title slide here. And I'll get there in a minute, but I'll tell you the story. As we, as we get through these anchor passages, probably a lot of them are going to have a story attached to it. Here's what was going on in my life when God gave me this passage, and it first became an anchor passage in my life. Um, the one, my story behind this passage, it's not, it's not um, a long story. It's just that back in 2011, we were teaching through the book of Titus as a church. We were studying through it as a church. And I got assigned chapter two, and specifically the passage that contained this paragraph. And as I was studying that and preparing for it, I, I had an experience that was not only my experience, but I realized that that commentators and theologians throughout church history have had the same experience. And that's that they realized that this little paragraph, Titus 2, 11 through 14, it is the entire gospel in like a little nutshell. It's condensed and it's all contained. 
And it's the most, it is in scripture, the most succinct and the most complete telling of the gospel story. It's like the essence of the gospel. It's all reduced into this paragraph. And so I challenge the church, this is back in 2011, I challenge the church, you should memorize this. You should really memorize this so that it's portable, so that you have it hidden in your heart and you can recall it as needed. You can recall it when you don't have your Bible open. You can recall it as you drive and as you pray and as you share the gospel with somebody else. Like, you should memorize this. Then I realized that if I was gonna be shooting people to do something, I should do it myself, right? And so I did. I, I actually did it before I challenged the church to memorize it. I memorized it that week. And ever since then, it's become part of the fabric of my life. Sometimes I find myself praying through it line by line. Like, we're, we're actually gonna do that today. We're gonna pray through it line by line. Uh, Sometimes it's because the more I pray through it and internalize it, it just becomes part of my thinking, part of my prayer life. It's informed and shaped my prayer life. And so um, I find that when I, here's the invitation to me, when I stop and think about this passage, the invitation is for me to live my life inside of the gospel and out of the gospel. Like, this is, this is my foundation. It is my anchoring passage. And it's something for me to live out of in terms of the way I interact in the world. So that means that when I pray it, I've, I pray it differently than when I just come to God with my normal prayers. Because my normal prayers may start with, God, here's what I need today. They start with me, with what I want or what I need or what I'm sensing. But when I start with the gospel, I pray differently. It's less about coming to God with my requests or my desires for a particular day. What it is, it's, it's orienting me to live out of the gospel. And it's inviting him to lead me in what he desires for me in the day to come. It's about being attentive to and yielded to. It's about creating an expectation for the day to hear God's instruction and to follow that. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to start by just reading through the paragraph, the whole, the whole gospel, and then we're going to break it down line by line. I will tell you, we're going to receive communion as part of our, our time together this morning. So if you're on campus, you should have got one of these as you walked in. Uh, this is an invitation. It's not an expectation. But um, if you didn't get one, we'll, you'll still have a chance to do that before we get to that moment. Um, but if you're joining us online, I would encourage you to... Um, to get the elements of communion if you can, if you have access to bread or crackers or to, um, to wine or, or juice, I uh, would encourage you to do that because that is gonna be part of our time. So let's turn to Titus 2.11. I'm gonna be reading it out of the ESV. We'll put it up on screen here. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Amen. This is God's word. That is the pure, unadulterated gospel. And church, there's a, there are many things, there are many 
false gospels. There's many distorted gospels. There's, there's many things in our culture today, in 21st century America, that parade as Christian. They get labeled Christian. And many of them don't pass through the filter of this as the gospel. That's why I want to invite you to commit this to, your, to memory, to, to hide it in your heart. Because it gives us the capacity to recognize when we're veering away from the gospel or when we're, we're encountering something that, that is a distortion, that's a, a twisting of the gospel. And it calls us back to this is the real thing. So let's break it down line by line. Let's start in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Let's start with that word appeared. The grace of God has appeared. We, we, we talk about the meaning of grace. Uh, many people have defined grace as God's undeserved favor or God's unearned favor. I've heard it described as God's ill-deserved favor, meaning it's the opposite of what we deserve. It's God's astonishing love. And when we come to the gospel, that's where the gospel begins. It begins with God's grace. Notice it doesn't begin with, now you found God in your cleverness and in your searching, you reached out and you found God and here's how to live that out. It doesn't start out with us finding God. It starts with God making an appearance in human history, in the human experience. Grace is the posture that God has that originates within himself. It's not a response and it's not a reaction to what we've done or what we've not done. Let me say that again. Grace is the orientation of God's posture. It's his posture towards us. And it's not a response or a reaction to what we've done or not done. In fact, quite often, it's just the opposite. Paul captures the essence of grace in his letter to the Romans. This is Romans 5, 6 and 8. It says, Paul says, when we were unable to help ourselves, okay, this is grace, when we were unable to help ourselves, at the right time, Christ died for us. Although we were living against God. Very few people will die to save the life of someone else. Although perhaps for a good person, someone might possibly die. But God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. That's grace. It's God initiating love. It's astonishing and surprising love. It's, it's scandalous love. It's reckless love because he loves people who don't love him. What Paul's saying here is that grace is, 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 is God's posture towards us, but it's more than just a theological concept. It's more than a disposition that we talk about. That grace has actually become a person. Grace has made an appearance by putting on human flesh and entering into our world. Grace has been embodied in the person of Jesus. Grace has been unleashed into the human experience through the birth, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you can now, here's, the, here's why that's important, because now grace is available. You can take hold of grace. You can be seized by grace. You can seize grace. It's there. It can be touched. It can be apprehended. And this grace, it has multiple expressions. There's, there's various facets. Paul starts here because it's the beginning of the gospel with grace, the, the facet of grace that is salvation. 
And so there's saving grace. We'll put up four kinds of grace here that are, are relevant. They're not, uh, this is not comprehensive, but these are four facets or aspects of grace. There's saving grace. That's salvation or forgiveness of sin. New life, eternal life through what Jesus made possible through his death and resurrection. Saving grace typically happens, it's, it's, a, it's an experience that most of us can remember. We can talk about the moment that we experience God's saving grace. But there's also forgiving grace. Not only does grace offer salvation to those who don't yet know God, but there's also ongoing grace or forgiveness for those who do know God. How many, how many of us know that, like, I was saved by grace, but I also need grace. I need God's undeserved, unearned, ill-deserved love every day of my life, right? That's forgiving grace, and it's made an appearance in the person of Jesus. It's available in the human experience. There's transforming grace. Grace continues in the life of those who are forgiven to then shape them to become like Jesus from the inside out. Jesus isn't just saying, here, um, I, I, now that you're saved, try to act nicely. That's like tying, you know, peaches onto a cactus. It doesn't work. He's talking about transforming us from the inside out, actually changing our very nature so that the fruit that's produced in our lives actually looks, smells, and tastes like Jesus, right? That's true joy, right? That's true love, joy, peace, patience. That's fruit of the Spirit. That means he's transforming us from the inside out. There's also empowering grace. Grace becomes the power source to live our life from. In other words, our Christian life is not self-empowered, self-willed. It's not us just trying harder than we did yesterday. It's cooperating with him where he does the heavy lifting. And he works in us and through us. So when I pray through this line, if I'm praying line by line through this gospel, I pause to consider what facet of grace I need to take hold of today. And I just pause. The grace of God has appeared. What, what facet of your grace do I need today, Heavenly Father? And then I wait and let him show me. I pause. Let's move on to verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's from this verse that I get the metaphor of the classroom. I said, I said if I was going to write a book, I would probably use this passage and I would call it the classroom of grace. Classroom comes from this metaphor where he says training. Think about training. Training is an ongoing process. It's not just a door that we walk through once or a prayer we pray once. It's an ongoing process. So the classroom of grace that we enter into at salvation, we, we're enrolled at, at the moment of salvation. That's when we enter the classroom of grace. When do we graduate? When you go home to be with Jesus. That's a graduation. Or if Jesus comes back, nobody's had that experience yet. But if and when Jesus comes back, that's graduation. In between, in between those two appearances, his first appearance and his second appearance, we're in this classroom. And it's not a class that we, that we leave every day at three o'clock. Right? This is like a boarding school. <laughs> it's 24-7. You li we live in this school. But here's the thing. How many of you know this? And if you're a parent with students, you, oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> it's possible to be a, technically a student in a school and not be present for class. 
It's possible to be tardy. I've had days where I'm tardy to my, to my living out the gospel. I get halfway into the day and I realize I'm doing this day on my own. I didn't pause to cultivate an attentiveness, a yieldedness to God today. And I'm tardy. There's some days where I'm absent. Some days where I've been absent for maybe an extended period of time. Right? The thing about the classroom of grace is there's a choice to be present. Remember when you're in school and the teacher did roll call? All the students that are enrolled in the class, teacher does roll call and says, read your name out. Gary? What do, you, what, what do you do? Do we have more than one Gary? Right? When the, if you are present, if you're present that day, when the teacher does roll call, you say here. Now, I want you to remember, if you, if you were here for a series, we did a, a couple series back, we did a series called Here Am I. What we looked at is, is, is like six people throughout the pages of Scripture that had an encounter with God and their response was, here am I. Some variation of that, here am I. We looked at the, the Hebrew word, it's the word hineni. And, and what it means is, it, it's more than just saying present. It means I'm here and I'm listening. I'm here to learn. I'm here to obey. So, so when I pray through this line by line and I get to this place that, that I'm enrolled in God's training, in God's classroom of grace, I'll literally raise my hand sometimes as if to say, I'm here today, God. I'm here. And whatever you speak, I want to listen to. Wherever you lead, I will follow. Whatever you command me to do, I will obey. Would you give me the grace to do that? I'm here today in your classroom. Looks really weird when I do that in a coffee shop. I'm like, what's he doing? I don't, see that hand? You can put it down. The natural question, if this is in fact a training, if we're in the classroom, who's the teacher and who sets the agenda? Now you think about it. When you go into any sort of classroom, whether it's a university classroom or a high school classroom, the students don't come in and say, okay, would you open your books to page 34? Today we're going to be studying this. No, it's, it's a teacher, right? Our teacher is the Holy Spirit. Jesus, one of the, the names that Jesus gave to the Holy Spirit when he said the, Holy, the, the Father is going to send his promise from on high, he said he's going to send the teacher. And so who sets the agenda for our lives, for our discipleship, for our Christian walk for the day? If we're living in the classroom of grace, it's Jesus. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. And so one of the questions I ask is, God, what's, what's on your curriculum for me today? What's written in your lesson plan? for me today. Because whatever that is, that's what I want to walk in. You know what? Here's the unique thing about the Holy Spirit as our teacher. He keeps us in the lesson until we learn it. Because he's a good teacher. You know, the teachers that are like just tired of you, they just, they just move you on to the next, you, the fourth grade teacher can have you. That's fine, right? They'll just graduate you on because they're done. The Holy Spirit never does that. The Holy Spirit's going to keep you in that lesson until, until you've learned it, and then we'll move you to the next thing. So the question is, what's, what's the curriculum for the day? Well, one of the things is, is contained right here in this verse is that training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Now, that's going to look lots of different ways for different people in different seasons on different days. But big picture, that's sanctification. That's what he's teaching us. He's teaching us what to renounce 
and what to replace it with. Teaching is what to walk towards and what to walk away from, right? And so when I pray through this line, I often stop and just let the Holy Spirit bring conviction. I think, what have I been living in? What have I been moving towards? What have I, what choice, and, and I stop and think about the day. What choices and decisions will I be making today? What desires and motives will I be living from? What will I be trying to achieve or acquire? What are the attitudes and opinions that I'll be living from? And I just place myself before God and say, God, I know there's things that have shaped me. There's habits that I've cultivated over a lifetime. There's temperament issues. There's, there's things that are not who you've called me to be. Would you help me to recognize those things and to renounce them today? That's the language of here. It's to renounce them. And would you help me to know what to replace them with? Because the power of, of sanctification is not just trying to avoid the bad thing. It's moving towards the good thing. And so, God, would you show me? And, and oftentimes what will bubble up in those times of prayer is specific things that are happening in my life. Somebody that I'm agitated with. Somebody that I'm having conflict with. Or a fear that's been keeping me awake at night. A fear that I'm waking up and I'm, you know, feeling anxious about something. And that's what I pause and say, okay, God, is, is there something there that's not from you? that you want me to move towards instead? Would you help me to renounce my fear and choose trust? Would you help me to renounce my agitation and choose love? What do you want me to move towards? Let's go to verse 13. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This next verse gives me the opportunity to consider what I'm putting my hope in. And, and, uh, I noticed, you notice I, I underlined and, and kind of bolded two words appearing. And this is where we get the sense that the gospel, the classroom of grace takes place in between Jesus' first coming when grace first appeared on our planet and between the second coming when Jesus returns. And, this, and in this time, we're supposed to live in hope because there's an assurance that he's coming back. There's an assurance that he's going to finish what he's begun. If I'm living in the gospel of grace, my hope is in Christ's return when all is made right, when every tear is wiped, when every sickness is healed, when every war is ended, when every belly is filled, when every person has a home, when, when creation itself is restored, that's what we're moving towards. And Jesus has promised he's going to finish it. And if I remember that and I'm living with hope towards that, it changes the way I pray about the current circumstances. Because currently, not every belly is filled. Not every person has a home. Not every sickness is healed. Not every tear has been dried. Like, there's actually a lot of brokenness still in this world. But I pray about those things differently, whether for myself or for my friends, my community. I pray about them differently if I'm praying from a place of hope. Jesus, I know you're going you're gonna to do it one day. Would you do it? Can we have a, a down payment today? Can we have a, a first installment of what you're going to finish? May your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven today. I pray differently when I'm praying from hope. Sometimes I, I pause to become aware of my anxieties, my concerns, the things I'm anxious about. I pray for the capacity to live this day from, in light of eternity and not just from the moment. Let's turn to verse 14 who gave himself, oh wait, is that right? 
our, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. The gospel reminds us that Jesus purchased us from being enslaved to sin. I want you to pay attention to this word, enslaved. Because when it says that he redeemed us, he gave himself, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, this is so packed. This is so dense. He gave himself to redeem us. The word redeemed comes from the, the slave trade world. And to redeem someone was to pay the, the price of their ransom to rescue them or ransom them out of, of slavery. And so what Paul's saying here is he's, as he's condensing the gospel, he says, Jesus gave his life in order to rescue you from being enslaved to anything else. Because there's only one master that gives more than he takes, and that's Jesus. And every other thing that we give our allegiance to and our devotion to, everything else that we let master us will we'll, we'll take far more than it gives. And I don't have to mention too many things for, to, for us to be, yeah, that's true. Anything that we, that we make our end-all, be-all, whether it be money, sex, power, our appetites, our desires, our comforts, our reputation, our achievement, our ego, anything that we make the end-all, be-all and we, and we put all of our, our, our energy into that, it becomes a master, a slave master. And it will take far more than it gives. What Paul says is that Jesus gave himself to re rescue us from that. And he did so at great personal cost by giving up his own life and sacrifice. So when I'm praying this line, I pause to ask the Holy Spirit what I'm currently giving myself to. What am I giving my devotion to? Are there things, even good things, maybe they're not inherently bad, but are there things in my life that are out of order? And I pause and say, Jesus, would you reorder the affections of my heart so that you have first place in everything? Let everything else come under you. I mean, this is just, this is just scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. God knows we need food. We need the ability to pay the mortgage. We, he knows all the things that we need in this earth. And he calls us to focus first on the kingdom of God. To, to allow his rule and reign to be first. So I pray that. I think it's interesting here. Let's make a little side note. If you read the devotions this week, Paul or uh, Mike, Pastor Mike, did a great job in introducing us to the background of Crete. Crete was a pretty wild place. You could think of I mean, the, the modern day equivalent of Crete would be like the, the, the connotations you might have of a place like Amsterdam or Las Vegas, right? It was a place that was notoriously unrestrained immorality. Unrestrained, unchecked. In fact, earlier in chapter two, Paul quotes one of their own authors. In fact, we talked about him a few weeks ago. Paul quotes one of his own authors, I think it was Epimenides, and he says, one of their own prophets, here, I'll read it to you. This is chapter two. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then Paul goes, that's true. <laughs> He's like, this doesn't come from me. One of you guys said it, but I, from my observation, that's pretty true. They were enslaved to lawlessness, and so he said, hey, so he's writing to them, and he says, Christ gave himself to rescue you from lawlessness. But when Paul was writing to people that were enslaved to law-keeping, when they were enslaved to legalism, that's trying to earn God's love or keep God's love 
through their own works, through their own actions. There's a difference between living for God's love and living from God's love. We're living from God's love. We've received love and we're responding out of it. We're living for God's love. We're trying to earn something that can't be earned. That's legalism. And so if Paul was writing, to example, for example, to the Galatian church, he would say, he's the one who gave himself for you to rescue you from your law-keeping. It's a free gift. Verse 14b. And he gave himself to purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. To purify for himself a people for his own possession, are zealous for good works. Paul ends this synopsis of the gospel with who we are now called to be. And there's several key thoughts here. I just want to highlight a few of them. One is that Jesus is purifying us or shaping us to love what he loves. Like I talked about earlier, he's not just trying to tie peaches on a cactus. He's trying to transform us from the inside out to actually be zealous for the same things that he loves. For our hearts to break with the things that break his heart. For our heart to move in love towards the thing that his heart moves towards in love. He wants us to shape us to be zealous like he is. This is at our very core so that our motives and desires are being reshaped and reordered. Remember, the gospel is that he does the heavy lifting in that. Our job is to cooperate. Our job is to show up for class. I'm here. You're my, you're my, my teacher. You're the empowerment for this. I'm here. Would you teach me? Secondly, Jesus has taken us as his possession. I, I, one of the reasons I like this translation is I like that, that phrase, possession. In our, keeping with our, our message last week from uh, our national director, from Jay, um, he talked about being possessed by the Holy Spirit. The fact that we can be possessed by evil spirit, we can also be possessed by the Holy Spirit. And even though possession is one of those words that typically we, at least in 21st century America, we have negative connotations with that. Scripture says he's called us to be a people for his possession. I think part of that is that we, we belong to him, but we're also inhabited by him. And so when I get to this part, I pray, God, would you, would you inhabit every fiber of my being today? And I think through the elements of my life, would you inhabit my, my choices, my thoughts, my my passions, inhabit my, my schedule, my decisions, my, inhabit my life today. Take hold of me to be a people for your possession. But the last part of this is really important. He doesn't say he, he is, he's called us to be a person for his possession. He says he's called us to be a people for his possession. And part of the gospel is, the, is that it happens in community. It happens in a spiritual family. Jesus is making us into a family. It's plural. He's not making me to be a people for his possession. He's calling me to be part of a people. He's not calling me to be a person for his possession, but calling me to be a part of a people for his possession. And so when I stop and think about that, I stop to pray about my brothers and sisters, about you. Pray about our church and our calling in the world. Say, God, would you, would you continue to transform us, shape us, maybe a people of grace who reflect you faithfully? May we be a people who are transformed to be zealous for good deeds, zealous for the very things you've made this church to do. We're one corner of your pasture. We don't need to do what everybody else is doing. Would you help us to be faithful for your call on us? A people for his own possession, inhabited by him, who are zealous for good deeds. So that is a, a brief, like, unpacking of an incredibly dense 
and complete version of the gospel. Not version, nutshell, encapsulation of the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. What I want to do now is just for us to like pray through it together. And so I've, I've written out a prayer that I'm going to lead us through. I've written it out in kind of the Lectio Divina style that we, we read about several weeks ago uh, in just the slow, prayerful reading through Scripture. And so I'm going to lead us through that, and uh, I'll read each verse. Uh, if you want to open your eyes, the verses are going to be back on screen again, but you don't need to look up if, you, if it's helpful. Uh, personally, I find it helpful to close my eyes and just listen and just kind of be, be here now. So um, you're welcome to, to, uh, to close your eyes, but if, if it's helpful, uh, they're going to be on the screen. So if you're here on campus, we're going we're gonna to pull the lights down a little bit, and we're going to put on a little bit of music just to, um, to fill in the pauses because we want you to be able to be here with your Heavenly Father in this moment. Uh, and it's at this time, it's in, when we get to, to verse 14, that's when we're going to be receiving communion together. So again, if you're joining us online, you'll want to get the elements of communion. If you're here in the room, if you don't have communion uh, and you'd like it, would you raise your hand? And a couple of our greeters will come around and Lee's going to come, Brent's going to come. Just keep your hand up until you have communion. And um, just a little bit of housekeeping. The way these work best, these are, we, I call these airline communion. There's a tab on them. If you break the tap down and then up, the wrapper will come off the top easier. And the, the wafer is there on the top and then you can open the bottom and get to the, the cup. Uh, but, but save that until we get to verse 14. Has everybody got one? All right, let's try this. Because I don't want to just talk about praying through Scripture. Let's do it, right? As I enter prayer now, I pause to be still, to breathe slowly. to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God. Lord Jesus, I choose to be present in your classroom of grace today. I remember the promise that you gave to your followers during your first appearance in John 14. You said, I've told you these things while I'm still with you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Father will send him in my place and he will teach you everything and help you remember everything I have told you. Come Holy Spirit. Be my teacher. Be our teacher. Train me to live inside of your gospel and out of your gospel today. I am here. If you speak, I will listen. Where you lead, I will follow. Help me to hear you and obey you as I open myself to your gospel. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that your undeserved, unearned love has entered into my life. I pause now to remember when I first responded to your invitation of new life, eternal life. Thank you. I am reminded that your grace is not only the way into life with you, but it's also the way on for life with you. Today I ask for fresh grace, forgiving grace, transforming grace, empowering grace. Jesus, I am reminded that your death and resurrection brought your undeserved salvation not just to me, but to all people, even those I disagree with, even those who vote differently, even those who act differently. Would you grant me the grace today to love everyone the way that you love them? Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Holy Spirit, you are the helper and teacher Jesus promised the Father would send. I trust whatever is in your curriculum, whatever is in your lesson plan for me today, Holy Spirit, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I open to you my inner motives and my secret thoughts. I open to you my driving hopes and my anxious fears. I open to you my passions, my desires, my hungers, my appetites. I open to you my thoughts, my beliefs, my opinions, and my judgments. I offer you my actions, my reactions, my words, and the heart from which they are spoken. Holy Spirit, show me what to renounce today and what to replace them with. Would you grant me the grace to live less ungodly today and to reflect your image more faithfully today?
verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, as I live between your two appearances, I remember that my ultimate hope is in your return, your promise to wipe every tear, to make all things new. Would you help me to live today in light of your promised return? And would you show me the other things that I'm hoping in and how to pray for those things in light of your eternal life? I pray now for my relationships. My finances. My health. My workplace. my church and my nation. Verse 14, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Jesus, I pray all of this from the assurance of your love that you gave your very life for me to purchase my freedom from enslavement to selfish living and to live from a given righteousness. I receive your provision of communion now in faith that it is a means of receiving your grace. I eat the bread that proclaims your body was broken so that I could be made whole. I drink the cup that proclaims your blood was poured out so that I can be made pure. Lord Jesus, thank you for redeeming my life at the cost of your own. May I live this day out of the love that you have so lavished upon me. And verse 14b, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus, you have bought me at a great price. And I now belong to you. My life does not belong to me. I am your possession. I yield my life to you today, inviting you to possess and to inhabit every fiber of my being. Thank you for adopting me into a family whom you also possess and inhabit. <laughs> 
would you unite us today to love one another as you have loved us and to be zealous to join you in your mission of redeeming all creation. Purify us to be a people who faithfully carry your image and who make the invisible God visible. Amen. That's portable. If you memorize that scripture, you can take it with you wherever you go. Every day can be the classroom of God's grace. I invite you to, uh, to enroll. It's a good place to live from. We have some words for prayer that we're gonna put on the screen. Um, these are things that our ministry team sent specifically for this morning. Uh, that they just sensed that God wanted us to, to share and pray into. So uh, God is here. He's pulling out roots of sin. The great gardener. Uh, walk in the spirit, walk in freedom. In your weakness, he is strong. God is breaking walls of fear. And God is moving suddenly. But that's not the entirety of, of what God wants to minister today, but it's some specific things that our team sensed. If that's for you, you probably sense that. You know exactly what that means. Those words are meaningful to you. I actually talked with, with uh, Roy this morning, and Roy was sharing me that, that last week there was a word that was specifically for him. A few weeks back, there was one that was specifically for his wife. And both times as they received prayer, God met them in that place. And he said, just would you thank the, the ministry team for being attentive and listening uh, and yielded to God? That's, isn't that awesome? So uh, we're just going to close. This is just kind of a soft close. Um, out in the Heritage Hall today, uh, Pastor Kenny's out there uh, doing signups and information about VBS, or about, uh, sorry, about uh, family camp. And if you're interested in vacation Bible school as a parent, uh, there's QR codes all over children's ministry. Uh, you can point your camera to that and find out the information and enroll. And then, of course, we have the pancake breakfast with CR out on Heritage Plaza. So um, we're just going to do a soft launch. Uh, but if you need prayer this morning, I want to invite you to come receive prayer first. Um, and we're just going to be up here. Apart from that, uh, welcome to June. Welcome to summer. And let's go make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.